वेलकम टू सिंह टॉक talkers around the table today discuss the local global and global we'll think about the meanings of being global or local or global or neither are the deep underlying tendencies in this context what gets globalized and what gets localized what or who is this for does connected necessarily mean homogeneous how do contexts emerge or how are they created what does global really mean can there be a global history but it be cut by time as opposed to space is globalism a myth can there be such a thing as a local city is there a problem with conceptualizing the world using the universal particular dichotomy and is the long term future likely to be hybrid in all realms you're pleased and privileged to have two sin talkers with us here today professor chandan gowda he teaches at azim premji university in bangalore his interests are social theory indian intellectual history and kannada literature and cinema and professor vikramaditya prakash he is a professor of architecture at university of washington in seattle his interests are global history modernism and fashion so chandan why don't you set the ball rolling with you um you know when one thinks of these three rough concept clusters or whatever one calls them um the local is the most interesting in some ways because how how can something be not local is isn't everything local in some shape or form to varying degrees what does local mean to you what does it mean to the sociologist new to the anthropologist new to the literary side in you what what is local maybe we start there and we'll see how it goes in the last couple of decades when so much talk of globalization has happened mm. they've essentially dispensed with the local in terms of a former understanding of an insular region bound cultural universe and that perhaps needed to be done but in retrospect i feel only that was done and the local was evacuated a little too quickly and now when we look back and when you say evacuated evacuated uh, in in terms of let's say anthropology a discipline that was most committed to engaging with the local and studying it right right felt that the locality was you know the context of the local was global mm-hmm. and that any site could essentially be a site for study and you don't need to go to a place learn the language and be there for 2 years and understand the life of a community the way it used to be done right and i think there were problems with the way they used to be done in the past it is definitely uh, you know problem of method to see that you know this community is contained in that space but once you recognize that the social practice of a community may have coordinates outside of that region mm-hmm. which is interesting to recognize mm-hmm. but does it mean that then there is nothing local about that community anymore exactly is there anything specific is there anything specifically so there are local there are many entry points to how do you then appreciate 
this quality that I'm calling local. Mm-hmm. One is uh, the, the, you know, at a fundamental level, making sense of the world, you know, right. in the sense of experience, right. in the way, you know, someone like Wittgenstein would talk about it, that there's an inarticulate something that makes, you know, people do things even when they're not completely clear about the reasons for why they do things. Right. And you can't really get to the foundation of why they do what they do, but they do it because they've done it. And you can seek local specificity at that level. So you're referring to cultural practices and knowledge practices? Why do some communities prefer to cremate the dead and not bury them? Sure. You may find theological reasons, but do they exhaust uh, the space of why they do that? Right. So this is one way of looking at that there is indeed something called the local that you can't ever really fully evacuate. Fully evacuate. Right. But then the uh, the other important entry point to this is the question of a moral tradition. And now you know we are shifting scales of the local. If provisionally speaking, mm-hmm. if we say there's a Kannada humanism mm-hmm. or a Tamil humanism mm-hmm. or a Telugu humanism, broadly speaking, within which of course there'll be these are all umbrella terms because then there are. Yes, these are large. These are abstractions being done at a language region level, right. beneath which you may be able to find further little universes sure. of very distinct moral reasoning. Sure. But for you know, for this discussion, let's presume that there are indeed, you know, such a thing as Canada humanism that has been cultivated. Let's say by the modern education system, where generations of students have been told this is the canon of thinking on moral values in this state. And it's a composite index. You have Jain contributions, you have Vaishnava contributions, you have Madhva contributions, you have the Vachanakaras who are Shaivites. So it's a composite sort of values that uh, people grow up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this happens in different parts of the country. And it's a fascinating exercise in itself to see how this canon was put together to see how we came through time. Mm. And you could, as a historian, try to, you know, uh, complicate this exercise by saying it's an imagined community, you're just making it up, it never was there. Benedict Anderson, people like that. (laughs) That kind of thinking, which I think is important, but it won't really uh, halt this exercise. You could account for the fact of fabrication, but then also actually as a serious literary historian see a continuity in conversation between you know various participants in this field of uh, literary production. So where does this, uh, and for a second if we leave globalization and things like that behind, where does this localizing tendency come from? Like is there a center? What does it gravitate to? What is the binding force? What does that work? It's one thing to say that it's a composite, which is fine. So it's uh, some kind of a derivative of a variety of influences in many realms, but... Again, I'm not trying to make it meta, too meta, yeah. uh, but is there a way of doing something a little, little bit above that? So, a, a self-image of a community has been built up. Right. And the one of the Kannadiga self-image is that they are a non-violent people. <laughs> Unlike the Maratha self-image, that is that you're... The indeed, warrior. Uh, in, yeah, that you're... Uh, the notion of courage is being seen differently in these two traditions. Right. But how is it held up? How is it being fought with? We'll have to get to finer details right. through dissenting camps because there are serious differences. 
because these it, also dialogical it's not like a, it's this. not like a fixed thing yeah. i mean if you look at the evolution of kannada cinema the recent cinema is less committed to you know <laughs> to a community image the way previous films were committed right and this is an all india trend right where you know mini episodes are becoming the subject of films and not a grand social drama um interesting but i think once we recognize that there is such a thing as let's say a kannada humanism mm-hmm. which is immediately apparent the same film being remade in tamil and kannada and telugu mm-hmm. they they are different films and what it is is something we have not yet been able to interpret but it's it's waiting to be done you know <laughs> you know and this is what is a, what is a kannada femininity or yeah. you know or yeah. a tamil masculinity there is such a thing yeah and uh, no not as a final observation but as a starting point and which will need to be and these are in. these are at the level of morality at the level of style at the level of aesthetics they come the together of, right. they come together in very very interesting ways and the divergence can also be sought on those grounds right right um so part of this is also sensory yeah uh, sound is part of it yeah. it's a very very uh, you know strong indicator of uh, you know the local you, yeah. know, you know some sounds the ear picks up on them instantly yeah and the ear rejects certain sounds instantly as i this ear can understand yeah and smell yeah so the eye is far more patient with an alien image than the ear is with an alien sound that's such a beautiful thought isn't it where are you on this vikram where are you on this so when when let's let's start with the fashion side in you and we'll get to architecture okay. by the by yeah. but some of the points that chandan is making in the context of whatever yeah. one can pick any site we like uh, literature cinema any other yeah and um, and fundamentally what is you know, local? i'm completely sympathetic to the sort of uh the argument or the ethical imperative of the argument that chandan is trying to articulate mm-hmm. which is that there is a some notion of a locally constructed identity and that's un indisputable right now i think one of the problems that at least we have encountered in architecture mm-hmm. and probably in other disciplines as well in mm-hmm. the general production of society and sociology also which is that then one can say well there are trans influences as well but fundamentally the local is constituted as it is and that runs into the idea at its limit of well then there but there are some things that are universal huh right you know universal human rights before universal... that what do you mean by trans influences so there is well like uh, chandan articulated that well of course people are influenced by factors outside sure but nevertheless there is a locally constructed identity right one would like to construct an argument in so that so the form. differentiation is retained differentiation whatever happens way. you it it becomes in some way or the other a kind of a melting potish argument in some various versions of it sure okay theek hai we have a lot of influences vagera but fundamentally there is a uh, a local ethos which continues to in various forms in a transformative critical manner uh, remake itself in a or one can argue in a hegelian way if you want or some other way sure so but what is the limits of that argument generally the limits are produced in terms of, well that there are some things that are universal mm-hmm. there's nothing to do with you being kannada and one has to acknowledge them you know we are all human beings correct and so the entire 19th 20th century modernist apparatus 
is based on the idea of, well, some things are fundamental. You know, how do we defend basically the idea that all people are, or all men at least, you know, all people are born equal? On not on English grounds or French grounds or Canada grounds, on human grounds, right? Is there, can we defend some ideas as being universal to all human beings? We share one planet which is revolving around the sun. And so that sets up the other end of the spectrum to but the that's local. A, that's, a, that's a conceptual invention, isn't it? Conceptual invention, which is based, which has produced institutions of universal human rights, international court of law, and science. That's fine. I think one understands yeah. what it leads to. Yeah. Um, no, but, but what I'm saying is yeah. that uh, a lot of work has gone into trying to integrate those two. Right? So in architecture, we have a thing called, for instance, critical regionalism. Mm -hmm. That you take something that's very local mm -hmm. and you try and make sure it marries well with the universality of humankind. Hmm? So what would an instance be? Well, for instance, in uh, we believe, universally speaking, in architecture, materials should be honestly expressed. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether it's defensible or not, mm -hmm. but definitely it's but a claim. Somehow it connects to various ideas in science. Can you elaborate? What does that mean? Well, for instance, uh, a pre-modernist idea of architecture is that you make the you know basic constructed block of a building mm -hmm. and then you ornament and clothe it to right. be what you want it to be. So the European classicists wanted it to, it to be clothed in classical forms because they felt that they were expressive of Baroque. European identity yeah. and enlightenment. Right. Uh, classic example being the writer's building in Calcutta, you know, which is now the Vidhan Sabha. <laughs> you know, when, when, when Warren Hastings had it made in 1890, you know, it was a stripped, clean, rationalist building because the writers or clerks had to sit there and account for all the gapla of the so misdeeds of the British East India Company. By 1830s, 40s, they had recladded three or four times. Right. So a universal modernist idea is that expression should be honest and true, and a person, a person, person slash building, you know, should be expressed uh, as directly as possible. Again, there's an idea of self-image there. Self-image as universal subject, who you are truly, mm -hmm. and truly fundamentally privileging the idea of our universal humanity first. Mm -hmm. then once you acknowledge that fundamental... So what does critical regionalism do? So then after you acknowledge that, then you say, well, of course, in South India, you know, natural ventilation is going to be a big thing because of the conditions of weather. Compared to Seattle where I live or compared to, you know, I don't know, North Pole, you know. Sure. So then you regionalize the universal. So that is, those are the example of the kind of accommodation that is done between presumed universality and regionalism. So in the context of architecture specifically, mm -hmm. Vikram, what would a universal thought or a notion be? I think one gets it at the level of rights, human rights and all of that. So but how does, it get, how does that get translated in, in the more architectural context? How does it manifest itself? So a classic uh, architectural axiom is form follows function. Right. So instead of, you know, just you make whatever and pump in any function you can into it, there is this idea in architecture, defensible or not, that a form should arise out of 
the given function of the building. And modernist architectural ideas are derived from that. And so if your function is, let's say, uh, very uh, local, you could defensively argue that, you know, so tropical architecture is considered to be a natural outcome of the conditions of local climate uh, and local materials, which are considered to be the basic substrate which produce the material conditions of production of culture. So architecture, properly done, looks of a certain <laughs> kind at a certain place because it is produced through categories which are considered to be universal determinants of architecture. Right. So it's it's so a lot of thinking has gone into uh, what you mentioned as being local, like how does one uh, bring these two things into a happy marriage? So that's sort of the, the our, our inheritance in this world of thinking, right? Uh, of how we do this. And what we are, now the problem with that is, I think it sets up a false binary between something that's universal and something that's decidedly local. And what's decidedly local? I have no idea what it, what is something decided. You know, Chandan, Chandan gave us a very nice articulation that it's not that we know what is local, but we recognize it when we see it. There's no way to identify an actual kernel. Is it your DNA? Is it the language? Is it the uh, climate? Is it the what makes Kannada Kannada? is not uh, uh, scientifically, ontologically identifiable. What do you have to say to that, Chindan? What is decidedly, defensively local? Doesn't need to be. One is just trying to understand whether it's just something that everyone happens to agree on and then it's it's it's, it's a intersubjective thing? Or, or Or what else could it be? Or what else is it? I think there's a great sense of pleasure about belonging and doing things in ways that others around you uh, recognize as uh, as you know acceptable means of doing things. So clearly, uh, it can, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm it not can only come out of somewhat ritualized rituals or even setting a set of rituals. They're both done and mm. they're both understood uh, because even antagonists, you know. Uh, the dissenters as well as the ones who are the proponents of a practice could still be on the same plane of you know, meaning making and meaning experiencing right uh, even you know as they see, uh, even when they seem to be opposed to each other so it it, it is a sense of uh, the the pre reflexive the pre thought if you will you know a sense of um, it's a part of an instinct or, 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 or a collective instinct, collective intuition. Yeah, that's probably that's what yes, culture and, and, is. And as yeah. um, Vikramaditya just said, language has a lot to do with it. Language is in the broadest sense of the term, not just as you know a set of linguistic signs, mm -hmm. but as a broad you know, way of relating to the world. Mm -hmm. um, can, 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 can a... Building, and you know, when one is just using this as some kind of a metonym for sure, an architectural artifact, be mm -hmm. only local. One can argue it as being such. I mean, let's say if we say 
buildings are language. Right. One can take on a structuralist reading of architecture. Yeah, you can read buildings and they can be your text. They, they can be your text, no question yeah. about it. And yeah. structuralists would definitely argue that. Yeah. That buildings are part of the uh, cultural, uh, the linguistic fabric of, a, of, a, of any culture. So are they are they the equivalents of Kannada, Tamil, whatever one can pick one in 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 the? I can produce it, but now, do they exist? Now, I mean, what, what? You know, the thing is, what exists? If 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 if, if Chand, you know, commissions me to write a book on Kannada architecture, I'm sure I can produce it. <laughs> and I teach history of of Indian architecture, and therefore, I am obliged to answer the question: What makes Indian architecture Indian? So, right. these are discursive category, discursive claims that I can produce. Now, the question you are asking is, do they actually exist in the world? Yes. That is more difficult to know. Because one can start at the other end and say, Vikram, all these things about universal human rights, these are, come on, these are really just French ideas. Right. Right, or American... No, so I, I think the other way to put it, Vikram, is yes. that if we if we think of it in the linguistic language context, mm. surely different kinds of languages exist. Now they may change every twenty miles or whatever dialects may change. That's fine, mm. but that it's not the same in the category of buildings, right? So if you so there there isn't that kind of differentiation, which is there used to be that kind of differentiation. One can argue that there used to be differentiation from so, yeah, from so gaon to gaon. You could say there was a differentiation, right? Uh, you so know, this is this is the this is the historian speaking that. in you. This is the historian speaking in you. So if we turn the clock back ten centuries, that's the historian. Yeah, historian speaking in me, I can make that argument. But the question it has, is, it has to be semi-valid at least. <laughs> it, I completely agree with you. It yeah. is semi-valid, right? Which is not to say it's valid. Sure. Which is not to say it's untrue either. And that's exactly what I'm interested in. I think well, I'm not sure we are going to disagree on that. I think we may end up agreeing on this. It is semi-valid, but not completely valid. Mm-hmm. Just in the same way, I don't think there is actually universal hum- human principles. All ideas and all claims about the universality comes from a certain amount of situatedness. Right. It's very Western 20th century thinking. Sure. So the desire actually is to say, I think... Belonging is an important thing mm-hmm. and it's a psychological desire. Mm-hmm. But the experience of life is the tension between belonging and not. You know, my father felt estranged from his, from his extended family because one feels that way. There is desire to belong and you always feel the tension of not belonging. So the actual experience of Belonging is already estranged. And somehow all being alive and belonging to a place always completely also carries the sense of desire to be somewhere else, to be something else. And all of, I feel, history you're asking me is the narratives of how we have uh, negotiated belonging as the desire to also be somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. So if that is true, isn't can we not talk about the production of cultural identity in ways that is not to do with local, global? This is what I'm interested in. 
Mm-hmm. Can we get away from these and try and talk about our conditions? We are having this conversation in English. Yeah. Is it a Bombay conversation? I think it's a very local conversation. But come on, it's in English. So you so you can argue that there is nothing local about it. In the end, in terms of language, this entire conversation can be said to be Euro-colonial. Sure. Because, you know, it's not in Punjabi, I don't understand Kannada. But it isn't. It is very local, yeah, come on. Correct? So I think that one has to, and I don't have the answer for this, but I think one has to find a way to articulate things beyond local and global. What, like, what, what, what could some contenders be? Chandan, what could some contenders be? If, if, if one... If, I don't, I, the local ought not to be seen in spatial terms, especially delimited something. But this speciality the problem is... of belonging that he mentioned just now, I think is especially true of modern Indians who encountered modernity, you know, through an encounter with, you know, European knowledge, let's say. Sure. And who, who have, you know, who have enriched themselves with it. Sure. And at some point, and this may not be true of everybody, <laughs> realize that there, there is, you know, there's a question of authenticity comes to stare at them. Am I, you know, a member of my community the way I see others around me who I think are also members of this community? And there is that sense of alienation that may not be shared by everyone who have gone through the same route, but some do encounter it and try to mend it, try to overcome it, try to reconnect, try to rebuild. You know, in, in, and it's taken, you know, modern writing in Indian languages is uh, provides, you know, rich testimony to this effort mm-hmm. of yes. people who have, you know, who have learned a lot and then at some point realize so is it, is it, that, there is, that uh, they may not be moored locally. But then this existed before also, no? I mean, the Mughal experience, don't you think? I, you know, I, it is hard to find someone worrying if they belong to that community. In pre-modern in times, pre-modern you would argue. Times. That anxiety is missing. The, the anxiety of belonging Zafir at least doesn't, it. doesn't pose itself in the same way. Because is that is that because the, so which is, which is a good time to come to the category of the global... Is that because the consciousness of the global didn't exist or doesn't exist in the manner that it does today or in the last 50-100 years? I, I, I think this predicament may not, may not be shared by everyone. Yeah, Americans may not share this predicament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they might. Be, I mean, they, because they might their particular they, is universalized. But uh-huh. They might if they feel secular education has taken a toll and they try to, you know, uh, reach out to the, you know... Uh, the, the, the more conservative the, not conserv- I won't even uh, frame it in that way but you know if, if a return to religion if, if that's what you feel ha- was fundamental in how you uh, were molded as a child sure. that's one possible route sure. or there could be a search for transcendence outside religion like you had in the New England area in the right 19th century it can take many forms um, right. but the dissatisfaction with being a modern and viewing that as in in this case, in the Indian case, as a, as an issue of having been disembedded from uh, from the local, and that could take you in different directions. You could celebrate that disembedding and feel like you have that you were saved by modern education, unlike your other people. Or you may feel at some level I may have uh, removed myself from a from a from a style of experiencing the world 
which comes to matter to you uh, because you only live poetry, for example you only live locally right you don't live globally i mean you may travel around a little bit but you only live locally so when you pair global and universal together and you pair local and particular together um see i i like i don't know what vikram had in mind when he was trying to say let's get beyond the local and the global i think that getting beyond can happen mm-hmm. in many ways mm-hmm. uh kuempu the great kannada poet mm-hmm. who coined a, a term called vishwa manava mm-hmm. and it's his poem that's the, the world citizen is, is that what it is universal universal uh, okay. man man right and uh, so he, he, it is being articulated in kannada mm-hmm. and he's very aware that kannada is just a medium and it has to be transcended mm-hmm. and the, you know he's influenced deeply by the neo vedanta of the ramakrishna paramahamsa sure and uh, arubindo sure but he doesn't limit him his imagination or the validity of that imagination to a kannada context i mean his major epic ramayana darshanam shri ramayana darshanam is dedicated to a whole host of poets from across the world dante virgil sure. you know uh, milton and uh, firdosi sure and not because he likes them as writers it's because he feels that they've all experienced darshana mm-hmm. which is for him the defining uh, quality of a great uh, poet who has seen something and when, when and that comes out of a meditative meditation contemplation it is a quality of seeing that is outside of a spatial temporal context which allows him to identify all these writers as being part of that community of poet seers or writer seers right and and that capacity is available to all and here we are born as vishwamanavas the primary condition of being you know of birth is that of your all universal humans but society goes on to narrow your experience of the world by saying you are part of this community or this gender or this language community and the uh, the ethical imperative of the times is to get beyond these artificial social attributes that you've taken literally to mean whatever they have come to me so chandan when you say darshana you mean self realization or something to that something so it's a, it's about uh, capacity for seeing right uh, which combines emotion thought and intelligence all sure. together um yeah so so I, i mentioned this to say so even this attempt at trying to mm-hmm. reach out yeah uh, the, the 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 way in which it's been worked out is decidedly local Yeah. although it aspires to completely get outside itself yeah. but still the idea of darshana is crucial which may not be shared by the french enlightenment thinkers right but for me it's an important uh, legacy which may uh, or may not be shared i mean we no, no, shared in the sense that metaphysics of uh, you know that right that darshana is something everyone ought to be able to achieve cultivate as a result of sadhana and no Mm. it's a, it's it's a, it's a yogic asceticism at work too uh and 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 in terms of the method is the method decidedly rooted therefore local so it it's uh, local in the sense of it being you know and the neo vedantic inspiration is not only local to kannada right it's it it it's, sure. it connects up with the upanishadic thought it connects sure. up with 
Vedic thought. Sure. So there's a way in which you're trying to lay claim to a continuity of experiencing darshana. Like Valmiki was a poet who had experienced darshana. Mm. So Kuvempu is willing to say, willing to recognize mm. the Uttara, Uttara Mana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uttara, you know, the, the, where Rama banishes Sita. Uh, so where you have the um, uh, Shudraka episode. Right. Uh, as being an, a later addition by someone who was not no, who was not Valmiki because it's an inferior vision it can't possibly be accommodated within anyway. mm-hmm. this is his way of reading the later edition as an interpolation but he's using his means of the artistic of Darshana to be able to tell that what came later was by someone else it, 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 it still seems like a very contemplative kind of method or traditions and therefore rooted in the individual and the individual being, you know, one can pick one's words yes. and, and and it's not as cultural or social necessarily. You know, I think, you know, he, uh, Kuwimpu says, the problem with history is it allows its, the Shastra Dharma of history is that it allows the time, space, specificities to exhaust its explanation. Right. And it can't see something like darshana, which is empirically not, you know, empirically in, 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 in the in, in methods of historians' craft, uh, can't be seen. You see, that's a limitation. So he's willing to assemble experience across the world, see connections between well, events. Let's talk about tendencies, Chandan, yes. and let's yes. spend a little bit of time on that. So, and if for a second we stay with this binary, just for the purposes of having a discussion and for the purpose of analyzing it, what what kinds of phenomena, realms, practices have a globalizing tendency as opposed to a localizing tendency and vice versa? Like for example, if we think of it in the context of buildings, and again, that's a metonym again, what what kind of wave are we riding, Vikram? Are we... Are we are buildings becoming more and more like each other? Are they sharing more and more traits? I don't know what's the best way to analyze this. Or are they, or is, is this a process of increasing differentiation? And obviously, at least a part of this answer has to be metaphysical because otherwise one would stay at the level of, uh, you know what I mean. Right. So I think... Um well, one could, if if one wanted to say, one would certainly say what is known as generic architecture mm-hmm. is proliferating around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the outskirts of Bangalore are starting to look more or less the same as the outskirts of Mysore and the outskirts of Patiala. And they're all cut-pasting a certain genericism. And one can say that that's, there's a certain homogenization as a consequence of global capital which is because it's efficient. It, it it's, it's it's not efficient. It's that's what is uh, financed by capital. Yeah, and capital likes to stay conservative, and right. so that's what that happens. And genericity uh, is being equated with the universal here. Or? No, no, not at all. Not at all. It's, not at capital. All, right? it's a generic. It's capital, and it's gonna it's gonna get financialized. Modern architecture was associated with universality. When Nehruji invited uh, Le Corbusier to build Chandigarh, he didn't invite him because it was backed by global capital. He invited him in the name of universality because we said in our constitution, we hold, you know, we are going to participate in the 
causes of universal so how does one even so let's talk about that for mm-hmm. half a minute yeah what is a global city or what is a universal so what how does one go about this how would cobusier so, uh, conceptualize something like so this so modernist cities sort of the current iteration current version of the modernist claim is what is known as sustainable cities mm. it's like it's not a canada idea my friend yeah the planet's going down the tube we'd yeah. better get our shit together yeah right that's a modernist claim it's yeah. not based on capital or the people want to lay it on it's a sort of a new version of a modernist claim we are all on this one planet yeah and unless we clean up our buildings and our cars you know we are all going to go down together right that's a modernist idea right now whether capital wants to finance it or not nowadays they are being made to finance it by putting a gun on your head what was the previous iteration what were, what happened in the context of chandigarh in the context of chandigarh the idea was producing citizens mm-hmm. you know how do you produce a modern citizen this was nehru ji's conception and which can be pr- interestingly passed through a gandhian world view and one can say gandhi's conception of a citizen you know through tolstoy thoreau and all these people was already a darshan you know it was a darshan he saw a certain view and nehru ji saw a certain view through it and uh, but that was very highly rooted in villages and highly local and so on right yes, so that's just one aspect ruskin of it yes informed by ruskin and tolstoy and thoreau hmm. right so, so how did uh, ruskin and tolstoy know about the indian village sure but gandhi ji saw them see it because he saw it through darshan i one can argue that of a certain kind and so one can say in that sense that darshan is already so know, how global. local was chandigarh then as as conceived in conception completely local it was an indian post colonial conditions product no there is no city like this in the west mm-hmm. america doesn't have a city like this europe doesn't have a city like this and what aspects of it as a as a, as a city intended to produce a modernist citizen in the sort of a nehruvian gandhian mold that's what kabuzia tried to do and how does a city produce sorry sorry for pushing you on this but yes. how does one produce a modern citizen how does so, a city produce a modern citizen so that's that's the billion dollar question correct <laughs> so the way kabuzia did it was that he produced uh a commercial center to the city mm-hmm. and then he produced a government complex mm mm-hmm. which was not made in the lachian's model of a space for parades mm-hmm. which is one way to produce citizenship mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. here is the parade here are the guns and here is the flag and therefore i belong to this nation sure but there's another way to produce citizenship which is a much more complicated way which requires participation agency and inaction as citizenship beyond voting so he tried to produce a space that suggested that notion of citizenship interesting chandan you have something on this yeah the, the in the indian cities um so somehow you know the discussions of a city in social science presume the european experience of how cities came to be formed which as you know through the, after the industrial revolution cities you know became you know in their own thing and the the relationship with the hinterland was essentially you know non existent but indian cities have grown without severing itself from the hinterland so closely so if if we look at the settlement patterns of you know communities sure you know their links with their villages are con- you know are continually nourished 
festival times are when when they go they get the village gods to come to the city you know and then during marriage feasts you know it's either held in the village or they are asked to come to the city so there's a way in which you know our even our big metropolises haven't become insular so there's a way in which the you know of in one sense it's the constellation of villages because cities have enveloped to you know have grown to envelop villages in another sense the migrants who have come into the city because of modern means of communication and transport are able to easily maintain ties with where they come from memories are still strong so this allows for a different you know quality of city life of course you have modern professionals who have just come to the city to make a living who may have a different world social world there and then you have these uh migrants with active ties so it's a it's a but that's exactly the description of united states of america america likes to think mm-hmm. that's exactly that country mm-hmm. where everybody can enjoy the the prosperity and yet retain their identities of the various places they came from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's uh, it's uh, you know well, let's go back to the question mm-hmm. we posed a while ago mm-hmm. you have something to say and so, we'll, so we'll jump we forward recognize that indian cities have you know enmeshed within a world of uh, financial transactions that are mm-hmm. global um we can't subscribe to a generic world city model uh for yeah, various reasons are, even for architectural are. reasons that you're yeah no no we shouldn't uh, we should. but we are <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to uh, that question what has a globalizing tendency what has a localizing tendency and we don't want to dumb it down too much but is there a way of thinking of these categories in way, what would the elements of these two categories share in common what globalizes what wallstein would say that the whole world economy has been one for 500 years so that's a, a realist understanding of at least know, trade and surplus extraction networks mm-hmm. that you can map out and not care too much about how it's making sense to people in various localities mm-hmm. so that's in, a capital first model the capital first model and argue. marx also insisted on totality being seen this way <laughs> as four branches of you know production right. consumption exchange and circulation right and you can't deny the validity of that model right. but what happens is if you rest at that level of abstraction you tend to miss out on the local specificities like the indian state after all the talk of neoliberalism the state is massively present massively present across departments allocating you know huge budgets you have a department of corporation Yeah, and you have <laughs> McDonald's serving a complete industry in India without beef. Mm. You get McAlu Tikki Burger. So all the you know the London school people insists that global capital only works by localizing. So it's taste always local. No. Are categories of taste always local? Do they have a tendency to localize? But they're varying. that taste can change you know we know the, all that we associate with you know ashish on these you know f- you know uh, fond of reminding us that the that ch- the chili garlic potato tomatoes that we associate so intimately with the all the indian if you think that so in that sense it is a form of the taj mahal is persian no <laughs> <laughs> sure so it's a, so in that sense what comes to be seen as ours mm-hmm. uh may you know uh, may have to do with a form of local consciousness and less to do with historical sort of you know trajectories so we can you know clearly establish that the idli 
again one of Ashish's favorite example came from Indonesia right which is Italy is you know is a quintessential Tamil Nadu breakfast right. snack right um, but you recognize that fact but then you know, what do you expect that to do in terms of uh, you know the relationship with the Italy and Tamil Nadu well why can't you, the relationship with the Italy allow us as Tamilians if you will allow yeah. me to be temporarily Tamil yeah to say i'm part indonesian what's wrong with that things wrong with that to theek hai na this is not to uh, say so, that the local you know will remain i think this this understanding is fine you open up the you know the, uh, the that even local is a hybrid category that's okay it was always hybrid always hybrid always hybrid but it doesn't see itself as hybrid which is an intriguing fact yeah and it could lead you into uh, dangerous positions but not necessarily so but I maybe there's a way to make it see itself in a way that is hybrid i mean to a certain extent i'm in, invested in the political project of moving identities beyond local and universal because as you were starting to allude a deep investment in the local and the regional and the national can get very conservative i think the question is how difficult is that and why so what is difficult what what this, is difficult this moving away from universal local dichotomies it's very difficult and particularly in this age when we are so entrenched with the rising tide of nationalisms everywhere sure you know nationalism is back on the on the rise so the question local. is why is it difficult it is difficult because it requires agency it requires one to actively you know think about who how to produce oneself rather than accept or belong and get on with it so it is a, a yeah. more difficult uh, notion of uh, of citizenship and it and a more uh, somewhat more unsettling idea of being in the world so it's more uncomfortable it, it is more effort it is more uncomfortable would Today, you agree you know i agree i share as a political uh, sort of normative uh, sort um orientation I, i okay let me get back to this question suppose you do want to make nationalism seem like an illegitimate idea or as an idea that ought not to be the primary identity of anybody because it's limiting and it's you know, the limitations are very clear but how do you do it do you do it through benedict anderson or do you do it through figures in different parts of india whom have actually and have had a great suspicion of these categories and have had a wide acceptance too so this is what i mean being attuned with the local allows you with this capacity to negotiate new ideas that you feel are important for living in the present in ways that are recognizable right so and there are spaces that open up so local we are neighborly are less alien as categories as as no i mean if that's just a concrete example i mean if you're trying to receive ideas of uh you know why humans are equal let's say society a had no idea of equality which yes. is just not true at all right. just imagine that's the case yeah. no let's do it as a thought experiment so, yeah so when you want to bring it in uh, i think if you, if, you, if, you, if you're able to you know bring it in with terms with references you know if with a 
if you, if you were to insert it within a living conversation within that community, which requires extraordinary sense of grounding as well as tact, as well as imagination, right? Gandhi did it. Gandhi right. passed off a whole lot of modern ideas as traditional ideas. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he was he was able and and th- I think so beautiful. I think that for that to happen, you need to have an extraordinary sense of uh, a mooring and anchoring in something. And and, and at least somewhat something similar ideas need to pre-exist as well. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Or you, they can be created or made to seem like they've existed. No, that's And I'm say, sorry to be speaking in these instrumentalist terms, but it's it is true. That, you know, they, they, again, to go back to Canada literature, the, the 60s and 70s, the themes are all French existentialist themes. <laughs> of, you know, what am I, where am I headed, what's the meaning of life? But they're, they're done through stories that no one would ever suspect. You know, yeah. <laughs> they're not using the terms that Sartre would use, for example. You know, it's, 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 so, you know, way, there's a way in which you can receive but, but Chandan, the outside in ways that so even uh, these are ways where, even if okay, sure, you had something no, to I say. I was going to say <laughs> to support your argument, I'm going to take you to task for instrumentalizing history to support your argument, mm-hmm. because it's not just a matter of selling it. The only way you will communicate it is because there may already be some of these ideas present in what you are calling the local, right? Which therefore then is an opportunity to do a two-way critique. Because when we look at an existential problem from a Sartrean perspective and from a, you know, who, the, person, the people you are mentioning perspective, that is an opportunity for us to engage in a dialogue. Right. Two-way dialogue. Right. And that is the great thing. And in which case we can, you know, say, you know, Sartre is, 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 is a Tamilian Kannada Euro version. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more interested in that question then worrying about whether it's external or internal, right? Let's talk about the existential problem. Right. And not worry about it and see how it is dealt with over here. See how it's dealt, how it dealt in. Not in terms of... Uh, not in terms of property and ownership. Not property and ownership. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying this act of mediation, mm. to be able to do it well and properly, it requires preparedness. And the easiest thing to do is to mimic that language and expect to be understood. Much of our progressive activist language is like this. And, and when you say preparedness, uh, what do you preparedness mean? Preparedness in terms of you know being able to you know if you're going to be the mediator, so right. to use this word, I mean you'll have to the translator. Be part of, you have to know what the living conversation is like. Yes. You, in that, in, to use again a very limited metaphor, you have to be an insider. Right. For you to bring in the outside even to then dissolve the differences. And there's an angle of uh, element of translation almost. It is, yes, yes, you're translating. You're translating for you to do that. Both way, bi-directionally maybe. You're translating in the sort of Buddhist way, you know, like the Buddha said, you will understand what I've said when you've understood what I've said. And I think I would argue that when Gandhiji was putting together all these ideas and translating them into the Gita form or, or the local form, he was not translating. He was doing it he he didn't see a difference between all these things. Yes, <laughs> which is why I said I'm sorry so to be he speaking was just in an instrumentalist it. fashion. Yeah, yeah. We are so, trying to you know. Sure. Uh, he was trying not to worried about where the idea process came from. I know it terms. sounds crass, but it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, that, I mean, that's how it goes. It, it, because it has to stem out of belief and conviction. So what? It is not about piecing together things on a board. 
So what's what is there such a thing as something being truly global? What is what is global? The most generic in the most generic sense, what is global? The threat of climate change is global. I think it's easily you know agreed upon when you come to problems of this kind. When you, the capitalism is global, the economy is global. But like when you come to articulation of the global and resort to language as a means of articulating that, then you're trying to arrive at a meta language for a social description becomes incredibly difficult. Right. And because it is again pulling you down to a locality, which is not a region specific thing as much as a conversation specific thing, and which is fine, which need not pose a problem. I mean, that is pluralism, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, I don't think a culture will have... Contextual. Yes. And it should not be a source for concern that, you know, why are we not able to arrive at the global something? Is there... So are all contexts, again, in the context of buildings, Vikram, local, global, what happens? I mean, can do buildings sit in a global context? What? I think buildings sit in between. I have always sat in between. Hmm. Um, they're all a product of uh, the shifting winds of of being alive. Right. I mean, even Indus Valley was a interconnected culture active influence up the Gulf of Persia, exchange with Maluhas, exchange with the Sumerians. Arya culture and architecture, very, you know, very interconnected always. Multiple, multi, multiple sort of uh, forces. Gupta Buddhism, of course, entire Ashokan architecture, the whole idea of making the stambhas coming from Persia, he's trying to be Darius. Uh, so what does this do, Vikram? So what 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 do these interactions do? Do they lead to greater differentiation and a sharper sense of self-image or a certain kind of more localized consciousness? Again, not necessarily only spatial spatial all, terms, but I think so. I think it has always been a shifting understanding of being. I think the question is that does connectedness necessarily mean more homogeneous or no? It doesn't does it? mean necessarily mean homogeneous at all. I mean the Mughals are the same as the Mongols, and Mongols were both Yuan and Chinese, and they were the Khanates, and they were you know interconnected in a complex. It interconnectedness is the nature of life and produces, for lack of better terms, rich diversity. Mm-hmm. Diversity comes gets produced through. Interconnectedness is what I would argue. Uh, there has been this modern tendency to to sort of fix that diversity through the idea of the nation state as into a singularity. Right. Nation state then breaking down into the region. Right. Uh, so you belong to a region, the region becomes the nation, and then the nation becomes the world. Right. <laughs> so, but if we get away from that. India as an entity has always been a very complicated thing. And it's the same around the world? Huh? Sa- the it has always been the same around the world. India is just again a certain kind of particular. We just yeah. happen to be here. Yeah, we just happen to be and at a certain political circumstances produced it the way it is. I think this manner of looking at interconnected histories is an important one. And I think now 
when people say in beyond linear histories or beyond nationalistic histories right. so looking at connections of come up you know goods or cultural flows or thinking of it as systems all the you time you look at how the gulf region and kerala and mangalore may be a block right yes, and yes. how chennai and singapore and indonesia may be a block cholamandalam right. bangalore hyderabad and the us maybe you you can draw different maps right. based on what you're trying to map and they could be and shifting and changing most, yes Which I is why you could cut history by time, almost, as opposed to by yeah, saying but, this is Mongolia and this is India. But but all of them will still remain recognizably products of historical investigation through means of you know method that historians will agree to be valid. Mm-hmm. And again, to take the Gandhi example, resurrected through Ashish's articulation and Raja Rao's Kantapura before that, right? Uh, who tried to say that history may not be. a necessary thing for us to live meaningfully in the world so there are other <laughs> ways of thinking about the past and of course as as people living in the modern world we may have to resort to history for objective accounts for whatever reason for having a causal explanation if you will but it is not the history doesn't have a monopoly over the past and this much you know we owe to ashish nandi for establishing decisively in our own time what what would the other contenders be other contenders would be No, 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 the past is not a necessary recourse at all. Right. Just ethics. Right. Can we just live by ethics through ethics alone? Yes. And these are these are you know these are difficult questions. No, Difficult. This is a beautiful uh, point. Hard to resolve. You know. So the, you know having a mythology of something to be able to deal with a present problem. I mean, if you again in Hind Swaraj, if you recall the reader, right, constantly asking Gandhi, right, didn't the Muslims destroy our temples? Didn't they do this? Didn't they do that? And Gandhi's response is, "Don't brothers fight in a family." <laughs> He will not take the route of providing historical evidence to the contrary. Right. So it's a way That's in which both he's, he's seen them as part of a family. It's an amazing it's an ethical maneuver. Yeah. So I think, and and like 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 Vikram said earlier, Gandhi is looking at the panchayat mode of deliberation. How do they resolve disputes? Do they take the route to? Go to the court. Go to the law. They say we have to live together. Yeah. Let's see how best we move. Yeah. Not at all to hold up the panchayat as the most ideal justice deliberation system. But I'm saying the ways in which, you know, um, justice is deliberated without taking a necessary recourse to history. Mm. Mm. This is a this is a more narrowly mentioned. But I think history as a you know as something that one has to live with in the world, which has become a quintessential requirement if you are to be a modern minded person. <laughs> Come on, don't you think historically? I think that much has to be loosened up, and this is in, in the interest of the local, and not at all to open the door for all kinds of nonsense to come in, but sure. in the best possible way. Sure, sure, um, sure. Of you know folk memories, for example, you know of a folk tale of having resolved an issue in a certain manner, where sacrifice was important, where something else was said to resolve something. These are ways in which a collective memory. can be structured in ways that have to be seen as important and necessary right right and but does this um, does this sidestep facts or and you know one w- one 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 could argue that just because facts are facts they don't need to be relevant so i think one is probably uh putting the context uh the contemporaneous context right in the center of things as opposed to resorting to something yeah. which may be irrelevant well, for think, a million other reasons i think i think a commitment reasons. to facts can't be given up i mean you can't but you know what i mean climate change 
or any of you know major problems without a commitment to facts so we are in this position of having to recognize different styles of thinking about the world as long as they share a broad commitment to you know uh you sort of no, <laughs> humanistic values mm, yeah. or broadly called democracy but these values also shift and turn and change right i mean there is there is a history to it now one can kind of deal with so what's the future let's go to that question and we'll see we'll, we'll see how we wrap up but what's what, what's the future vikram of i mean the future is in 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 this context in this context of one can think of it both spatially and non spatially one can think of it spatially and somewhat philosophically um culturally i mean i think it would be fantastic not the wishful future not the wishful future what is the actual future who knows but <laughs> where do you think we might land up in 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 this context of and and let's just think of it in context of maybe counter currents or we can call it what we will and again they happen differently across different realms and it's it's never that capital is going one way and culture is going the same way and so on different I mean, things happen I, speculatively speaking i do i am starting to have sympathy with the argument that uh, you know isis brexit trump modi are all clear indicators of the crisis and end of globalization you know we are witnessing the end of that era whatever you want to call it that started in the late at least in the late 80s maybe longer that now that finally that neoliberal dream has been you know people are sort of starting to be done with it so let's analyze that yeah, yeah. let's analyze that and for a second if that were to be true and you know yeah. one can always have yeah, false positives and negatives who knows yeah why why does it go this way why does history move this way why why do we expand and contract why do we uh move forward and then recede well i'm not sure we are re- receding i mean it's the the idea of neoliberalism i think has played itself out and now its detritus is manifesting itself in old languages because that's what it knows because of you know it's not the sort of this is not what they want it's not a you know the actual articulation of things you use an old language because you want to say no so but i i believe that it's an opportunity to work through and beyond people are trying to reach into the future of something else i think that's certainly what's the desire is behind uh, the massive support for uh, here in india for modi i don't think it's a, it's a, it's a localist or even a you know right wingist only just a right wingist uh, production it's the desire to get through this to some other future which can either it's be a desire for change it's a desire for change in a way that is not simply the nehruvian modernist mold or a return to an, a sort of mythical past is you want something else right is a desire for something new what's at work what might the future be i have always fought shy of seeing patterns sure in in historical movements sure and in but so uh, talking fa- about india right now uh, it's it's a strange uh, situation where like vikram was saying we it is the neoliberalism of the 1991 reform seemed to be in crisis but the commitment to an idea of progress 
the way nehru thought about it actually is the modernist i think is that is clinching the argument yeah and i you know it'll be great to see what people mean when they say development and you know i think they mean different things you know it's uh, but precisely to complicate this seeming acceptance of an idea of a future where we'll be living in cities where technology is playing a major role where people are able to consume what they want free of hassles etc travel where they want you know roughly speaking what's wrong with that no i'm not saying anything is wrong with no, that no not sure but i think but if you want to evolve where critique, might things go wrong in this journey if you want to evolve a critique of consumerism mm-hmm. uh both in itself as a way of relating to the world sure. and because it's a problem for reasons that are ecological sure how are you going to articulate that uh that demand that people be sober in their consumption habits now you could try to talk about you know there are many voices from across the world which have tried to you know, in simplicity this, yeah if sorry chandan if yes. we link this to the local notion or concern or self image or whatever that we started out yes. with do do these things go head on with each other right now i think the desire for development is moving as if history doesn't matter culture doesn't matter and i think the task of the activist which is why i've been speaking so much about the local is not to fall back upon global recipes of dissent of which there are many right. i don't name you know the global sh- gallery of radical activists are sure. available and i don't think that's the way to go i don't i think their hearts are in the right place but you you will have to work with locally available memories locally available texts for articulating why the way we are headed seems to be a problem and why one ought to be thinking differently and this will invariably keep the future plural right and you've also kept alive many ethical conversations across different parts of the country or wherever else alive not in a museum sort of you know i i you know yeah, it yeah, is yeah. local from here but yeah. it's it has always been an interaction no, but they have to be living they have to be living traditions they yeah, need to be so even the evolving the traditions and they've always been evolving yeah. and the, the points of reference are never only local so so there's not a claim for localism of that inward looking kind right. i think but without a grounding if we just try to be activists from above <laughs> activists from above meaning well but not being able to connect with living see this is not even a question so, of so, reinventing so, a tradition that is dead so your concern or complaint or critique is in fact very pragmatic see this is why you know i know it sounds pragmatic like you know that that let's see how best to be effective but i don't mean it in that sense at all or it ought to flow from a sense of being in the world and how you view your own relationship with the world and community you live in and and i think vikram was absolutely right gandhi didn't see himself as a translator he saw himself as doing the ethically the best thing that he that he believed in and that is what unfortunately when we speak about these matters it will seem precisely like you said a pragmatic on the board decision how do this we now pick up this story and make it work like this right it has to flow from a larger sense of uh, you know belonging and you know because uh, artificiality will be seen like that and it's <laughs> again again i'm giving an instrumental reason so it has to be a more um an extension of your uh, self in the in in a, in a in a natural manner 
uh, you can't fake these things. So which is, so which is why whatever I'm asking uh, uh, right. that that it be done has to cannot be an institutional project. Right. It you can't have a university for alternative Indian thinking. <laughs> why <laughs> oh, not? You could. You could. <laughs> you could. But um, sounds like a good idea. But I'm not sure. Only when it comes out of a certain sense of a quest, certain sense of you know a problem that you've realized, yeah, is it likely to, uh, f- you know, get itself an addressal <laughs> of yeah. which kind? I mean, there are no guarantees. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, I know I exactly I, what you mean. So, Vikram, we'll end with you. Um, are new local architectural artifacts coming to be, or there's some other way at work where you know you spoke of this generic project in the outskirts of so there's a big movement which i think connects with somewhat dovetails with the ideas chandan's articulating and we'll try to extrapolate from whatever you say and try and look forward for 100 years and see what might happen yeah, yeah, yeah. what so what there's this idea of critical preservation that you know preservation that we must uh, but my question is about the new so it's one thing to preserve things whether in a museum i sense or otherwise which is which is fine yeah so that's and, why they say critical preservation that somehow it's a agential preservation which is future oriented sure managing change is how they articulate it how you can manage change through a critical preservation practice sure which i think is not dissimilar and in architecture there is this discussion which i think would connect well what about uh, the new but so the new maybe there's nothing new ever i think you know there is still very much a desire for reinvention mm. i mean i think what you described as the i believe in the idea of progress is also the idea of reinvention mm. uh, and i think this is not just an american idea i mean of course americans make a big deal out of it you know they market it better they market it better <laughs> but i think uh, with the sense of uh, wanting to belong and knowing a place is also always a deep desire for reinvention and i think that is uh taking a beating nowadays sure because it's being uh, articulated as the generic but i still think that it's there and i think we are w- witnessing that desire in all this protest and uh, artic- uh, push back against the generic and i think uh, i think it will result in something so the future is going to be less generic oh I, absolutely no question about it the future is going to be less generic chandan it has to be and i hope it will be and uh, just to reclarify um, you know i wasn't saying that tradition has to be museumized no not at all i think all. it's 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 there's a living stream one will have to one insert oneself into it and see how best one can um, you know intervene politically culturally aesthetically however else you feel like intervening into keep those currents alive yeah. and again because you know we are what we are you know 60 years of modern education hasn't meant you know a certain kind of a modern indian has come into being and i'm not even wishing for that to happen sure so you are we are living, you know, this is the old project we we yeah. we're living amidst a community and we'll have to relate with them how we do it is up to you <laughs> up to all of us up, up to, to everybody us.
Thank you. I think that's a good note to end this on. Thanks to both of you for making it, and we look forward to having you soon again. Thank It was you. It's a pleasure. Thanks Thank for inviting. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.